Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. All right, welcome back to Inside Sources. Marty Carpenter, Greg Scorda sitting in for. Boyd Matheson today. It takes two of us to do the job that Boyd does every day, and even then, even then, we're probably not doing it quite at the same That's level right. that, that Boyd uh, normally does it. You know, Greg, we've talked about this on other programs that we've done together, KSL at Night, where we've uh, co-hosted before. I always talk about this political um, bell curve, that there are sort of, if you think of it looking like a bell or like a, a ghost, right, if you draw a line that looks like a ghost, the, the extremes, there aren't that many people out on the extreme left, and there aren't that many people out on the extreme right compared to the number of people inside the bell curve, those right. sort of moderates in the middle who maybe lean one way or the other. They may be closer to one extreme than the other, but they're in that middle. And I think that applies as a political communication device, a way to kind of sort people out and figure out who are we really trying to talk to. And that seems to be the case more and more on social media. Oh, it does. And, and it is. And my wife sort of uh, colloquially calls them the wingnuts. But they're, <laughs> they're really not. And, and if you go to some of these conventions that we're having in, in Utah, you see that there's the, the far right and the far left that shows up. And, and our candidates have had to appeal to them uh, to get to, to the general election where they've got to go back to the middle. And our social media has, has sort of taken that to a whole new level. Yeah, it's not even like that recent of a phenomenon because if you go back to when there only was a convention, when there wasn't an alternative route to the ballot, an alternative path to the ballot, uh, you could I, I remember back in, say, 2010, 2012, somewhere in that time period, uh, seeing a poll that said, here's what's important, top 10 issues to Republican delegates, and then here's what's important, top 10 issues to general Republican voters, non-delegates. And there were there was crossover on the list as far as some issues with education or transportation or healthcare reform, immigration were on all, but they were in a completely different order, almost inverse in right. many ways. Right. And so there's sort of this disconnect between a couple different groups who are out there speaking, and the way they're speaking to each other online is the subject of a study that's been conducted by a couple of public relations professors at Brigham Young University, and they're joining us here today, uh, Devin Knight and Christopher Wilson, assistant professors of public relations at Brigham Young University. Uh, Devin and Chris, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. You bet. It's a joy to be with you. Hey, Devin. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Let's, let's start with you, Devin. What was the purpose? What was the motivation for this study? Yeah, the purpose of this study was to try to understand what signals from social media would be helpful to organizations, whether they're businesses or government, uh, because we're, we talk a lot about the importance of listening to our audiences on social media, but really, who is it that's speaking up on social media, and does it really represent the majority opinion from our stakeholders, or is it more just a loud, vocal minority? And uh, who who was interviewed? I mean, how did you how did you get the information that you worked on, Chris? I mean, what was the what was the I don't know what the word is the the, the source of information for your study? Yeah, um, so we did a uh, survey. It was a national 
uh, representative uh, survey that we pulled from uh, a Qualtrics panel um, that we modeled to kind of reflect um, the census breakdown of people across the different census uh, districts across the country. So um, nationwide survey of 1,047 people that represent generally what the census breakdown of a country looks like. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. So, guys, I I look at this in sort of the way that I go about social media, and it's been sort of part of my job to politically be out there on social media, not necessarily for myself, but to help candidates, campaigns, uh, groups behind various uh, issues that are on ballots to go kind of push their side of the story on social media. But I've noticed personally that I have retreated from being out there quite as much. I I, I feel like I know how to kind of advise groups to do it, but I, I see the dangers of it, and I see that... You know, for my personal positions, I'm not getting persuaded by either side, and and I'm sort of opting out. So, is that something you're seeing in the study that the that the folks kind of in the middle of that bell curve I talked about are just sort of opting out of the conversation? Well, that's a great question because I've heard a lot of that too from my personal network of friends and family who say I'm done with social media. I'm getting off of this. This feels like a toxic environment. Um, but what we found with our survey of, of people all across the country is that social media use is still high. I mean, 78% reported that they're on Facebook, 43% are still on Instagram, but that those who are in the middle, either moderate or they lean conservative or they lean liberal, they self-censor at much higher levels than those on the far right and far left. And so when we get on social media and we see voices, we're mostly just seeing those that are on the far left or far right. And the rest of us are censoring ourselves and really not saying much. We're mostly just scrolling and reading. Is there a way that we can get these social media outlets to cater more to the middle? Or is that just how they get their attention? Is that how they get their 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 people to, to listen and sign up and, and watch because they're seeing these extreme uh, points of view? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Devin and I were talking the other day. There was an article in The Atlantic um, about the what's currently uh, the, the evolution of social media over time. And, you know, the, the great promise of social media when it first hit the scene was that we, you know, we called it social networking. And the idea was that we could connect with each other. But over time, we've come to call it social media because the focus has, has changed more towards using those channels as a way to create content or create messages and push it out to an audience. And so the conversation has kind of died and we've kind of moved to a model where people are just pushing messages out and trying to get attention and trying to get followers. Um, and so we're in a mode of, uh, of like any other media, like television or radio, where you're trying to attract an audience instead of trying to have a conversation. So it's really more a matter of like, it becomes kind of a broadcast medium then that you can, yeah. if you're, if you're in the groups that are talking back and forth and actually using it socially, you, your study would say that those are the folks who are maybe more on the political extremes and in the middle Everyone's more of a, a consumer of information in a more traditional sense that they're reading information that's out there. Maybe it makes their way through the algorithm to their timeline because 
of a family member that they have or some some friend in there. But that that means to me that if you're talking to the folks in that middle, in that bell curve, the folks who you say are self-censoring, there's still value in talking to them. They're just less likely to talk back and engage and make it a conversation. Absolutely. I mean, it means that when you get on social media, you may feel like the society is a lot more polarized than it really is. And so if you have conversations in your neighborhood, you can take heart that probably there's more people who feel the same way you do than what is reflected on social media. Um, And let me just add, in some ways, this is a lot like what happens on all other media is the world that we see represented through the media doesn't always conform to what the reality of our world actually is. And so you can get a warped view of what the world is actually like the more time you spend on any of these mediated channels and what they're telling us about the, what the world is like. That was Devin Knighton, assistant professor of public relations at Brigham Young University, and Christopher Wilson, also assistant professor of public relations at Brigham Young University. Really interesting stuff. Thank you both really for joining stuff, us this, Thanks so much. this afternoon. Yep, thank you. Thank you. When we come back after the break, Marty, what's happening out at the old prison site, the old point of the mountain? We'll talk to a friend of yours and a guest about where that's going. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.